that's lovely. So lovely. Take your Bibles, please, and turn to Jonah chapter 2. Just a word of thanks to uh, so many of you who've been so kind to our family. Notes and cards this month, I appreciate that. You've been very kind and generous. We're grateful. I want to remind you that um, uh, Pastor D is still engaged in sensitive work with the FBI and as a chaplain. And um, just over the past two weeks, I know his path has intersected helping counsel those who've been involved in shootings and officers involved in that. That takes a toll. Um, it takes a toll on uh, people that are equipped to handle the toll. And so I just want you to remember uh, to pray for Pastor D regularly. He didn't ask me to do that. I think he's fine this morning. I hope he is. He took all the kids with him, so all seems to be well. But yeah, uh, pray for Pastor D and just remember to uh, thank him for his work, his continued work, his quiet work that we rarely hear anything about as a church family, but very active still in ministry. So grateful for that and for his legacy. What a privilege. Well, speaking of legacy, we continue with Jonah this week. And if you're just joining us last week, uh, no shock, uh, was the command for, for Jonah to go to Nineveh and preach to the Ninevites. And Jonah didn't tell God no, he just acted out the no, right? He didn't pray, didn't talk to God. <laughs> He didn't uh, engage God directly in any way. In fact, the first time Jonah spoke was after he had gone down to Joppa to get a ticket to get on a ship, gotten down into the ship off the dock, went down into the cabin of the ship, and then headed down to Tarshish. And then the Lord said, uh, you can run, but you can't hide, Jonah. And God sent a storm. The word is hurled a storm. I think that... Um, Tuck just wrapped up baseball, yes, or soon did or just did recently, just wrapped up a baseball season. The picture of Hurled is that outfielder throwing that ball all the way to home plate with specificity. I mean, God sent a doozy of a storm, and it, uh, he used the storm, he used the sailors, and ultimately he used the sea to try to get Jonah's attention and point him back in the right direction. But last week in the sermon, we didn't even get to the fish because the fish is not the main attraction of the story. It's important. It's our first association. We started with it this week. It's the scene of what plays out for us this week. Uh, and, and of course, you know, any sermon or any sermon reading or text reading that ends with vomit in the text, you know, is going to be a fantastic morning. So uh, we were joking, Mark said that the assignment for uh, one of the songs we sung this morning, somebody goes up and said, I want you to write a song and use the word bulwark, work that in, right? And then you wonder with translations and things and iterations, you say, I want you, no, 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 in this translation, let's use, vomit. sorry, moving on, okay. So in chapter two, here we are, we find it, let me just bring your attention to the fish or the whale? Is this a fish story? Or is this a whale of a fish? Is it a fishy whale? What is this thing? Because some of your Bibles say a fish in one verse and a whale in another verse. Some of them say fish in the Old Testament and whale in the New Testament. Oh, the Bible, see? It's full. Uh, no, it's not full of contradictions. It's absolutely not. Trust me. I know you watched a TikTok video with a cat that's pierced out 57 ways that says they found the contradictions in the Bible. 
There's nothing new under the sun. They've all been disputed. The word that's used here is gadaldag or dagadal if you're reading right to left. Traditionally, it's translated as whale, but in the vernacular of the day, all big stuff in the ocean were big old fish. That's a big old fish. I can just hear the southerners, right? Just out on the thing. What'd you catch? I called it big old fish. What was it? Oh, it was big old fish, right? They weren't looking for the actual specific type and the, using the modern Linnean system. So perhaps a swimming sea creature might be considered a fish. The writer here is not concerned with the phylogenic, I had to look that word up, phylogenic distinctions. I just want to impress you once in a while. But, but he's concerned with the Lord's involvement in Jonah's life. And this is what we do. We find some sensational detail in Scripture and we get fixated on that detail and we miss the message that God is trying to arrest the prophet's heart and get him on track with the main thing. Sometimes you and I can get so fixated on one little thing in our lives that it paralyzes us from moving forward in obedience to God. God wants to help you move forward this morning. Whether it was a fish, a whale, or some other animal we've never seen or heard of, whether God created some great fish that only existed for this one moment doesn't bother me in the slightest. That's less important than the miracle that God had Jonah tossed where he was tossed, swallowed where he was swallowed, and spit out where he was spit out. Even that's not the greatest miracle. You see Jonah beginning to get back in line with praying correctly. We'll see that unfold for us this morning. And you see God's message going forth. That's an incredible miracle. When you come to chapter 3 and 4, we'll see the Ninevites, a whole city, repent and trust God. Bigger miracle than any big fish. So let's stay focused on the main thing. I want, our, I want to turn our attention to the three words that start chapter 2 this morning. It's not the whole sermon, but I do want us to focus, and I am deliberately deliberately belaboring these points. Look at the first three words, chapter 2, verse 1. Then Jonah prayed. Then, not before and not until, there was a trigger. His prayer was not born out of affection. It was born out of affliction. Then, Jonah, he had taken responsibility, finally, for himself. It's good to have people praying for you, praying that God will use you and protect you and bless you and turn you, but at some point, you have got to talk to God for yourself. Your mama can't pray you into heaven. Your daddy can't pray you into a saving relationship with God. Jonah had to take responsibility. He has to come to an end of himself. He has to recognize the utter destruction of his plans, his path, and his way. He has to recognize that there's nobody else to blame here. It's his actions alone that have resulted in where he is. This is not an environmental cause of external influences in his life. No, 
Jonah is the lone actor here of his own volition and will. He chose to disobey the ruler of the universe. Then Jonah prayed. He's not, uh, the old timers used to say, he's not popping bubble gum on the way in the sanctuary here. This is doing business with God. He's not singing a song. He's not having a quiet moment of reflection. He is pouring out his heart to God. And thank God it's recorded for us to see. Jonah is praying here. When's the last time you prayed out of affection and not affliction? Or does God have to turn your world upside down to get you to your knees? Oswald Chambers said this, think of the last thing that you prayed about. Were you devoted to your desire or to God? Were you determined to get some gift of the Spirit or to get at God? So many quotes on prayers. I'm not going to put too many up. One more from John Bunyan this morning. You can do more than pray after you have prayed, but you cannot do more than pray until you have prayed. Pray. Seek the Lord. This prayer that we're about to look at in Jonah 2 is not the great repentance prayer that we would hope Jonah would pray. It's just not. There's some great lessons here this morning. We have much to learn. But if you would turn, like you don't have to turn there, but just make a note somewhere like Psalm 51 where David has gotten involved in all manner of madness and craziness. He's had somebody killed. He's, he's been in an adulterous affair. He's lied and covered it up. I, you'd think he was running for office in the U.S., but uh, David has is, is, is made a mess of things and he gets before the Lord and says, against you and you only have I sinned. And he pours his heart out to God. I've used that before in evangelism as I've walked people to the throne of grace, not saying pray this prayer after me, but I take a Bible, I open it up, I turn it around, I hand it to him, I said, this is kind of what repentance looks like in the Bible. Maybe your prayer would sound something like this. Jonah doesn't do a tremendous job of modeling a prayer of repentance. I don't think that's the point here, obviously, in the Holy Spirit's record of this. But his perspective does shift. And I think there's something for us to learn about praying the way God would have us to pray. Here's a lesson we can learn first. Three, three kind of headers, I think, for the text this morning. Number one, he prayed knowing that God was in charge. You can see it in the way he talks. In Jonah 2, 1 through 5, Jonah begins to talk to God, recognizing and acknowledging that God is in charge and he is not. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the belly of the fish. Jonah prayed to the Lord. Notice the language. Not the man upstairs, not a higher power, not uh, he had a, a quiet moment and a religious experience. No, he, he didn't throw one up and hope it would stick. No, he, he poured out his heart to the Lord, his God. The Lord, God omnipotent. It's likely he had in his mind some of the words 
that had been echoed through Scripture through the ages. Isaiah the prophet would record and say, the Lord says this, I am the Lord who made all things, who alone stretched out the heavens, who spread out the earth by myself, who frustrates the signs of liars and makes fools of diviners, who turns wise men back and makes their knowledge foolish. I am the Lord who confirms the word of his servant and fulfills the counsel of his messengers. Make no mistake, when you bow your head and say, Father, you are talking to the Lord God omnipotent and he reigns. That's who we're praying to. Jonah is praying to God and he acknowledges that. Look at some of the words he uses. It's not on the screen. Just look in your Bibles this morning. He says, you cast me into the deep. Your waves, your billows. He's recognizing that creation is at the control of the Lord God omnipotent. You drove me away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over my life. Verse 5, the deep surroundingly me weeds were wrapped about my head. God has done this to Jonah. God's in charge. I'm sure as he was going down into the water, he probably thought, this is it. I'm done. I know I said for them to throw me overboard, but mercy. I don't know if he would do like me and say, I didn't think they would do that. Like he's a preacher. He's not used to people listening to him. I think I've told the joke before, right? The guy, the preacher standing at the front, my wife just did a long blink, so I think that means I've told it here. She goes, like that. I love you, Ashley. <laughs> Act like you haven't heard of the pastor's preaching the sermon, and, 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 and he says they're stealing the coats in the back, and nobody moves, and he keeps going through the sermon. Second, about halfway through, he said they're, they're taking all the coats in the back, and people are just sitting, looking at him, shaking their heads, and he goes, he gets to the end, one of the deacons comes running down the aisle and, and says, Pastor, Pastor, somebody stole all the coats out of the back of the church. He said, I said it multiple times. He said, oh, we thought you was just preaching. <laughs> Jonah may not be used to people listening to him, but, but, but he said, just throw me overboard, and they did. But he recognizes it's God that hurled him into the sea. And, and he's having a perspective shift from the belly of the fish. Let me tell you, sometimes God gets our attention through affliction. I wish it wasn't so. And as much as we've identified Jonah as, as a miserable missionary and a pitiful prophet, ooh, he, he leaves a lot to be desired. I believe our missions team would meet if we got a report from Jonah after the call to Nineveh and say, I, I think you're in violation of a few of our guidelines here for what we consider to be healthy missionary activity but from the belly of the fish his perspective shifts he doesn't want to go out this way even though he's in rebellion and heading the opposite direction he recognizes i need to talk to god he's swallowed by the fish and he begins to talk his way i think he realized 
just like all of man's way, leads to death and destruction. The Proverbs tells us there's a way that seems right to man. I'm sure it felt good to Jonah to head the other way. Nobody will know. I'm sure it felt good to Jonah and seemed right to Jonah. Hey, it's my life, my choice. Nobody can tell me what to do. That's a lie from the pit of hell, by the way. I'm sure he thought he was going to do the right thing. And, and, and the Bible says there's a way that seems right. You may even have friends affirming your decision, saying, atta boy, atta girl, you do what makes you happy. You be you. You got to shine on your terms don't let anybody tell you how to live except that God demands and commands our worship and obedience and Jonah went a way that seemed right but the Bible says led to destruction the wages of sin is death the Bible tells us Paul would stand before some really smart folks and, and notice all that they had done to try to appease all of the gods. And he would call their attention to the one true God. And he would make this statement, God may have overlooked people's ignorance about these things in earlier times. But now he commands everyone everywhere to repent of their sins and turn to him. That's the covenant you and I are under. That's the dispensation we're in this morning, that we would come to God on His terms. Just as it's appointed for man to die once and after this, the judgment, Jonah prayed and he recognized, you can see it in his prayer language, God, you are in charge. The second thing he prayed, God, you are merciful. Pray. Knowing God is merciful. I'd like for Grace Covenant Church, the church family from the youngest to the oldest, from the most seasoned legacy member to our freshest guest that has walked on the property today, I would love, love for you to take from this morning. When I go to God in prayer today, I'm going to pray and I'm going to talk like God is in charge. And I'm going to pray knowing that God is merciful look with me at verses uh, the second part of verse six he says yet you brought up my life from the pit O lord my god verse seven when my life was fainting away i remembered the lord and my prayer came to you into your holy temple now he's referenced the temple twice this is not quite how we pray this is old testament stuff happening here in the temple again we dealt with that in nehemiah was this place this abode the kabod if you were kabod if you will the glory of God in the temple this was the earthly address that represented the glory of God not that it could contain all of God's glory but what God chose to reveal of himself at that time the the, the Israelites knew to, to look toward the temple to pray to remember their God Jonah seems to be hearkening back to something that King Solomon uh, discloses for us in, in 1 Kings 8, 38 through 40. I've got it on the screen because I want you to see this this morning, and it's worth writing down that reference in your notes because I think there's, there's some great encouragement for us today. The king would say, Whatever prayer, whatever plea is made by any man, by all your people Israel, each knowing the affliction, there it is, of his own heart, and stretching out his hands toward this house, that's the temple, then hear in heaven your dwelling place and forgive and act 
and render, what a beautiful thing, to each whose heart you know, according to all his ways, for you, you only know the hearts of all the children of mankind. Verse 40, last, last verse in the set. That they may fear you all the days that they live in the land that you gave to our fathers. Short summary. There was a promise from God to the people of God that said, when your heart is afflicted and you're ready to pray and do business with God, pray earnestly. Pray the way that God said pray. And, and the promise here that God would hear, God would forgive, God would act, and God would render. But he would do this so that the recipient would fear the Lord for all the days that they live. So many times in my life, I have needed the mercy of God. Have you? I, I, I've made a mess of things and I need God's mercy. Him withholding what I deserve. I need God's mercy in the moment. I need God. And God has been so kind to hear my prayer and to forgive me and to cleanse me of all unrighteousness and, and to act in a way that I could see and experience because he was gracious in that moment. What a God. But I must confess to you this morning, there have been times that I've prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and, and, and felt as though my request didn't get heard or answered. I think I might have missed the last part of Solomon's instruction here, that, that God's purpose in answering my prayer is not just to answer my prayer. It's so that I might fear the Lord and live in a way all of my days that points others to Him. James would say it this way, you ask and don't receive because you ask wrongly. You, you, you ask for stuff to spend on your own passions. We, we've taken that verse that said God will give you the desires of, his, of your heart and perverted that says, okay, Lord, here's my list of desires. Now give it to me, Jesus. That's not how any of this works. God wants to make your heart new and put his desires on your heart written in the blood of his son so that you might shine bright for the glory of God. Jonah wasn't praying to be seen or heard. Jonah is in the belly of the fish. It was just Jonah, God, and this fish, whale, monster, insert appropriate word here. I, I don't know if he knew it would ever be written down after this. He's acknowledging that God is the God of all authority, that God is attentive to his children, that God's awesome creation is at his disposal to accomplish his purpose. He's acknowledged that God, is, his actual hand, is in his current affliction. He's realizing that he's in distress because of his own actions. He knew what he'd done. He knew the way he'd done it. He knew the two paths before him. I wonder, I know he wasn't there when Moses said it, but I wonder if it had been told so many times that he could hear his dad or the prophet that spoke to him, probably his dad, uh, telling him when Moses stood there and, and said, I put two ways before you this morning, the way of life and blessing or the way of death and cursing, and Jonah could hear that playing in his mind, knowing that God's way sometimes requires us to make hard choices. 
And Jonah just said, mm, I'm out. I don't want to do a hard thing. So he chose the path that seemed easy, that seemed right, but would result in harder than hard choices. Actually, death and destruction. God knows where Jonah is, and Jonah, through his prayer, we can see, knows where God is. Jonah is beginning to turn his eyes away from himself and to the Lord. He says, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. I'm not like those who regard idols as real gods. Jeremy read this earlier to us. I don't want to be in the camp of those who are running away from your steadfast love, that said love. That always chasing after us, never stopping, running after us, love. That can find you at your lowest possible point. Jonah is praying, recognizing God's in charge. He's praying, knowing that God is merciful. And by the end of this prayer, you, you see he's praying, knowing that he belongs to God. I wrote it so that you could write it down and remember it for you but pray knowing that you belong to God. You were made in His image for His glory. And if you don't know Him as Savior today, you can. And if you do know Him as Savior today, your prayer life needs to reflect that 100% surrender. I'm yours, Lord. Every moment of every day, I'm yours. Look with me at verses 8 and 9. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. Verse 9. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Say those last few words with me together, starting at salvation. Let's say it together. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Would Jonah have been in the hall of faith in Hebrews if that would have been his response when God called him to go to Nineveh? I think he would have stood a better shot, don't you? The word of the Lord comes to Jonah. Get up and go to the people of Nineveh for their sin has come up before me in a great cry. And Jonah responds and says, but with the voice of thanksgiving, I will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to you, O Lord. He would say, yes, Lord, I'm so thankful you've called me. I'll lay down my life in sacrifice for you, God. I've committed it all. I'm ready to pay my vows. Wow, what a response. That's the lesson of the morning. The question is, what is it going to take to get you there? If you keep going the way that you're going. The sad truth is, he may have responded that way if it would have been an easy assignment and something he wanted to do. If he'd have filled out a little spiritual gifts assessment and the little spiritual gifts assessment proctor would have taken that assessment and said, oh, I see here you don't like Ninevites, so we won't put you there. Uh, let's put you with a, a greeting ministry. That's what you just, can you just say hey to people who walk in? Now, I'm all for putting people where their strengths are. Don't, don't mishear me there. That's not the best illustration there but but this isn't a pick and choose this isn't a I'd like to go uh, anywhere but there by the way you want to see the Lord's sense of humor like just harbor that as a deep thought I'd like to go anywhere but there God goes oh oh yeah <laughs> sometimes we wind up there Jonah 
Jonah didn't want to do the thing God wanted him to do. It seemed too hard for him because he had a problem with the people. Listen, John Blanchard right? there's no such thing as easy Christianity. If it's easy, it's not Christianity, and if it's Christianity, it's not easy. Paul, probably, the, I mean, come on, one of our greatest examples in the New Testament, and he says, I'm struggling daily. I'm having, to, I'm having to crucify my flesh daily. I think I've got this hand on, I'm walking with the Lord, and, and something else is going on. I've got to deal with that. What's the difference? What makes it easier? What would have softened Jonah's heart I don't want to be touchy-feely here. I'm not about to hand out warm fuzzies, but I'm going to use a word here. Love. Love. Love makes the difference. Love for God. Because if you love God the way the Bible says that Christ and the Holy Spirit works in us and causes us to love God, you'll love people in a way that points to Jesus. Think about Jonah if he would have had this kind of love. Love is patient, kind. Love does not envy or boast. It, it's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. Love does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. If you are struggling to obey God, I, I just have to tell you to ask yourself, how's your love life? It, it's not a good suggestion that Jesus gave us in all of the Gospels when he pointed that attorney back to the Shema, when he said, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus said, the greatest commandment is that you would love the Lord with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second is like the first, that you would love your neighbor as yourself. You see, as, as God works in us to cause us to live out the great commandment, then we get to live out the great commission with joy. Yes, there are hard places to go, but that burden gets lifted when we recognize we're going with the Master. And he's in charge, and he's merciful, and we belong to him. Wow, what a God. What a Savior. Jonah was so stubborn. He was so hard-hearted. Look what it took to get him to recognize these simple truths. Now, if I would have told you this is where we're going this morning, you would have said, Pastor Chad, did you get Pastor Darren's children's church notes this morning? Because that's about as simple as you can make it. Sometimes we complicate things that shouldn't be complicated. From the youngest to the oldest in the room, I think we can understand this. The Bible says it from cover to cover. God is in charge. And he's merciful to us. Thank the Lord. <laughs> and we belong to him. Isn't it strange that some of us are so hard-headed that God in his love and God in his mercy has to use affliction to get us to recognize such a simple lesson in life. Jonah didn't pray when the word of the Lord came to him. He didn't pray when he got on board the ship. He didn't pray when he was down at Joppa at the ticket depot checking out. 
He didn't pray when he was down in the cabin. He couldn't pray while he was asleep. He didn't pray when the men surrounded him and asked him to pray to his God. I mean, when pagans are saying, hey, would you pray for us? I think that's, they're kind of teeing it up for you. He's like, I'm not sure what he did. He prayed when he was in the belly of the great fish. What sums up God is in charge, God's merciful, and I'll make it even simpler for you. You ready? Salvation belongs to the Lord. It's the theme of the whole series. Adrian Rogers says, when that summary says, like, I, I can't do it. I'm in a mess now. And Lord, if you don't do it, it won't be done. Lord, it's all you. Jonah had to be at the bottom of the bottom looking up before he saw the light. How many of you are familiar with Dr. Tony Evans? Has there ever been a greater preacher voice than Dr. Tony Evans? I mean, like, I, I imagine when he's ordering through the Chick-fil-A drive through people just get saved. I mean, it just sounds like, I'd like to have a, I can't even do it. It would hurt my throat. He's got such a great voice. And um, his son, Anthony Evans, years ago was singing contemporary Christian music and had an amazing singing voice. It wasn't raspy like his dad's. He wrote a song called I Choose Now. Listen to the verse. I don't want tragedy to be the only thing that brings me to my knees. With every moment of my life, with pain or joy, I will cry. You are God alone. You've given me the choice to kneel or walk away. I've struggled with surrender long enough to say, I choose now to be humbled in your presence. I choose now to fall on my face. One day, every knee will bow, but Jesus, I choose now. As Julia makes her way to the piano this morning, we're going to have a moment of prayer. Jonah had experienced success as a prophet under the reign of Jeroboam. We talked about that, but past successes don't guarantee that you're going to finish well. Just ask Samson. Jonah flat out rejected God's command and went a completely different direction. I want to give a call to response to two groups in the room this morning. Let me say this. Jonah flat out rejected God's call for obedience. We expect behavior like this out of non-Christians. This is what lost people do. They say no to God. Their posture is no to the Lord. Whatever God says, they do the opposite. Whether consciously or unconsciously, they reject truth and they reject God. Some of you today are in that camp. You find it easy to continue to go your own way and do your own thing. You are slowly headed down. Every sinful thought, act, word, and deed takes you further down, away from God's plan. Everything that you do on that path takes you down, further down the road of a hardened heart. It takes you further down the road to destruction. But the text this morning reminds us of something that is absolutely critical for you to know about the mercy of God. Is there anyone too far down that God can't reach? How deep does God's mercy go? God's mercy will go down to the lowest parts of the ocean to pick up a rebellious prophet that deserves to die. Nobody's beyond that. If you sense the need to repent this morning, to turn from your way down 
and to God's way up toward the light, it's not too late. You have an opportunity wherever you are, whether watching online or seated here this morning, you might say, you don't know what I've done. You don't know where I've been. You don't know how low I am. God's grace is greater than your sin. You could have fled from God. You might be paying the price right now in affliction. God's grace is greater than your sin. You might be ready to throw in the towel and say, I give up God's grace is greater than your sin and salvation belongs to the Lord. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is grace, eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We expect this kind of running away from God, from those who are not Christians. Let me say a word to the second group here this morning. Brother and sister in Christ. Such a simple lesson, but you might be headed in a direction that God may need to use affliction to get your attention. Does God need to shake your world to remind you that He's in charge and that you belong to Him? Will you require affliction or will you pray out of affection to this God that forgives? Let's pray this morning. The little chorus she plays, Lord, has that behold our God. And that word was used in Scripture all throughout the New Testament. More than 180 times it meant to stop, to fix your eyes upon, to gaze as if beholding for the first time. Lord, I pray that we as your people this morning would behold you. To see that you are in charge, that you are merciful, God. I pray that we wouldn't have a then that has to happen in our lives before we pray. Lord, help us not to wait for tragedy or pain or heartbreak or ruin. Help us to live in such a way, to pray, to worship, to study, to live, to love, and to work in a way that proclaims to the world around us that you are in charge, that you are a God of great mercy, and that we belong to you. We ask these things in the precious name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let the church say amen.